Welcome to the front page, taking you behind the scenes of the biggest stories from the New Zealand Herald and Newstalk ZB. I'm Francis Cook. Climate change is gathering increasing urgency as voters take up the cause and politicians take notice. Data from the Pew Research Centre shows that internationally, 67% of us see climate change as a major threat to our country. But is all of this urgency and awareness just too little, too late? I'm joined now by Herald Science reporter Jamie Morton. Jamie, there will have been a lot of climate change stories people will have seen this week. It's part of the Covering Climate Now campaign that's been rolling out. Tell me, what is this campaign? Yeah, well, it's an international initiative that was started by uh, the Columbia Journalism Review and the nation uh, in the United States. Uh, Basically, it's just to compel newsrooms around the world to uh, dedicate a week uh, to intensive climate change reporting. Here in New Zealand, um, we have been running uh, plenty of stories around climate as have you know, TVNZ, RNZ stuff, News Hub. Um, it's really good as someone who's been covering climate change you know, most of the decade to see uh, the issue getting so much coverage this week. Uh, around the world, there's around 170 outlets that are taking part. Yeah, I've got to say, you put together what I thought was a really fascinating, if somewhat dispiriting, um, best and worst case scenario comparison. So let's start with the best case scenario. If we turned on a dime right now and did everything that's being recommended, everything that's within our power to address the climate change issues, what would that look like for New Zealand and what would the result right. be? Um so there's a thing called the Paris Agreement um, uh, that was signed back in 2015, uh, but New Zealand and 200 other nations signed up to it. And it's an accord uh, to essentially limit future warming to another two degrees. Uh, now, if we are able to achieve this, um, what that would mean is limiting uh, emissions to two degrees uh, this century and uh, even uh, bringing emissions down to net zero, or even even reversing the amount of emissions we're putting out by literally sucking it out of the atmosphere. Um, so what this would mean is uh, we would still get a lot of climate change impacts. Like, for example, rainfall levels around the world would either increase or drop by 10%. Um, we'd still get up to about 60 metres, uh, sorry, 60 centimetres of sea level rise um, our weather would still be different. Um, but what this would mean is, is uh, essentially we'd have to do a lot of this work in the next two decades. Um, there's a report came out last year uh, that found uh, what would have to happen to achieve uh, an aspirational goal to limit emissions to 1.5 degrees. Um, this work would all have to be done, like literally, uh, in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. Um, we would have to actually drive emissions down almost nothing uh, within the next 15 to 20 years. Uh, under our, um, in terms of how much carbon we're pumping into the atmosphere at the moment, uh, this threshold would be crossed somewhere between 2030 and 2050. Uh, a lot of scientists, for good reason, have just basically said this is a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. You know, we're still uh, pumping CO2 out like nothing. And 
We don't have the technology to actually uh, take this stuff out of the atmosphere yet. So this century, uh, we limit warming to two degrees and uh, we push emissions down to net zero and we still get a lot of uh, uh, climate-driven impacts, but nowhere as bad as what we'd get under a worst-case scenario. Right, so basically, even if we do everything that is within our power now, we are locked in to some of the effects. That's right, yeah. Um, we've basically put enough CO2 into the atmosphere currently that uh, those downstream impacts are going to be unavoidable. You know, uh, even in the Arctic, uh, temperature rise could go up to four degrees. That's just basically as a result of what we've already done. But of course, the other thing that gets me, because that is immediately quite dispiriting, right? And I think a lot of people hear that and they think, why even bother trying? But the other, I mean, that's the best case scenario. There is still a worst case scenario. It's not just one option. What happens if we don't do anything and just continue on? Yeah, there's this terrifying, terrifying thing in the UN's latest uh, assessment report called RCP 8.5. Uh if you read that, it's sort of like reading a Stephen King novel. Um, it's pretty horrific. Um, you know, what we could expect um, up to four or five degrees of warming by the end of the century, uh, oceans could be 1.5 metres higher. Uh, now, to give you some perspective, even with um, half a metre of sea level rise, uh, some $12.5 billion worth of buildings in New Zealand are threatened by that. Um, the climate scientist has summed it up by saying uh, we'd be living in a kind of climate that's unlike anything any of us have ever experienced. If you think back to January or February when we had that big heat wave that went on, um, that was a pretty extraordinary event. Uh, but under this worst case scenario, we could be getting um, more than 80 days each year of temperatures over 25 degrees. Uh, New Zealand's climate would become tropical. You know, it would be uh, our fire risk uh, would be going up by a factor of five. Uh, would be prone to bushfires. In a lot of ways, would be facing the sort of fire danger that exists in Southeast Australia now. Um, we'd be looking at a, a wave of um, pests, um, tropical diseases coming to New Zealand, and that's only uh, the direct impacts on New Zealand. Um, those indirect impacts would be what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, food uh, insecurity, um, mass migration, uh, global conflict. Uh, uh, it's probably true that New Zealand would become something of an attractive or desirable place for migrants to come to. So we could be looking at uh, a lot of immigrants coming into New Zealand or trying to force their way into New Zealand like what's happening in the Mediterranean at the moment with North Africa. Uh, and, yeah, also uh, further on uh, migration, um, you know, in the wider Asia-Pacific region, uh, it's been predicted that some 75 million people would have to shift. So, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, that worst-case scenario uh, just doesn't bear thinking about. But if we continue uh, to pump out emissions without doing anything to limit them. That's the kind of future that our children are gonna be facing. This whole situation is a little bit crazy to me because it feels like all of a sudden there is an increasing urgency around climate change. Um, 
But the first reports on it, I mean, the very first government report in New Zealand was prepared in 1988 on climate change. Now, that's the same year that I was born. That's 31 years ago. And yet now we're seeing the urgency when we're right on deadline. I mean, why do you think people are suddenly feeling the urgency on this now? Mm. Well, that's right. That, that first government commission report came out in 1988, I think when uh, Die Hard was still playing in movie theatres. Uh, what's happened is the science has become a lot more clear. Uh, so the UN has been putting up these things called assessment reports every few years. And with each one of these reports, uh, there's a lot more data, a lot more science, a lot more clarity in terms of what's happening. Uh, on the other hand, it's pretty inexcusable. I mean, uh, there have been experiments that go all the way back to the 19th century that show what happens to the planet when you put a bunch of CO2 into the atmosphere. And our leaders, not just here but around the world, should have been doing a lot more uh, back then when we could, so we went in the situation. Now, um, some people say, is it too little, too late? Um, well, there's a bit of truth in that, because like I said, we would actually have to um, make unprecedented cuts in the next 10 to 20 years. And uh, looking at uh, our current capability to do that, not only that, but uh, the willingness of our political leaders at the moment around the world, uh, if you're a, to ask me, I don't, I don't think that could happen. Um, but it's, that's not to say that we shouldn't be out there aggressively pushing for action and aggressively lobbying for change. Uh, because, like I say, we've still got a chance to avoid that worst-case scenario. Yeah, I've got to say what's really struck me recently has been the difference from voters. And I think a lot of times politicians... They're politicians. They will ignore something that is a big, difficult problem unless they are forced to by voters who are voting on it. And it really feels like the tide is turning and that voters are making this a big issue. So what are some of the things that people should be thinking about when they're voting? And are there things that people can be doing about this? Right. Well, yeah, basically... Um not just the general election, but the local body elections, you know, they're, they're coming up in a few weeks. Um, people should be getting out there and actively polling um, candidates in the area, you know, just send the messages on Facebook, what's your position towards climate, how you can transition us to a, a, a low economy uh, community, really. Uh, and further down the track, when we get to um, a government, you know, our, our central government or general elections, um, just take a good look through um, the manifestos and those policy uh, statements that different parties are putting out around climate and demand that they do take action. Like you say, we have seen from polling that Kiwis actually demand more of our government. They want us to be doing uh, more even when other countries around the world aren't doing much. Uh, they demand action. Uh, and... If we uh, are to go down the track of even going as far as questioning the science or, or questioning what we need to do about climate change, um, then that would be a, a pretty horrific thing for future mm. generations. What are some of the political issues to do with climate change that you think politicians will be looking at? Are there reasonable solutions for New Zealand? 
Yeah, well, I think what is absolutely crucial is cross-party political consensus on the Zero Carbon Act. Uh, we've heard this week that this is likely going to be coming into law um, by the end of the year. Basically, we need all of our politicians um, across the House uh, agreeing to strong and meaningful change. Um, we need to be looking at um, the more ambitious uh, uh, end of the scale uh, in terms of some of the targets in this, this legislation. Um, you know, we need a, a rock-solid agreement that we are going to aspire to get our carbon emissions down to net zero by 2050. Uh, in terms of those biogenic emissions like methane, um, I think we also need to be pursuing those quite rigorously as well. Uh, but what we don't want is an issue where it becomes this political football, where politicians see uh, a, a chance to basically get votes by opposing strong climate action. I mean, my argument has always been that you know we should be divorcing climate change from politics. It has nothing to do with who we vote for or what our worldviews are. Um, we just need uh, consensus, really. What about in people's personal lives? Because I'm always a little wary of, you know, it's a bit like people saying, give up straws to solve plastic. It's, it's, I always feel like the, the personal solutions run the risk of being these little Band-Aid solutions. Is there anything meaningful that people can do in their personal lives to take action on this? Yeah, there's lots of different things we can do. You know, we um, there is a lot of evidence around uh, the collective uh, contribution we can make uh, by cutting down on red meat. Red meat. Uh, uh, having staycations, you know, uh, so basically holidaying around home. Because um, if you look at uh, the amount of CO2 um, you emit just by jumping on that plane at Disneyland, uh, compared to just driving around in your car each year, it's astronomical. Um, we can look at how we can make our homes more sustainable, you know, uh, using less electricity, um, uh, using more public transport, uh, carpooling. I mean, all these things, I mean, if, if you think about the contribution you're making uh, to the entire world's CO2 budget, I mean, it's infinitesimal, it's tiny. But collectively, uh, yeah, if we all do this, we can actually make a meaningful difference. Exactly. Thanks so much for that, Jamie. Really appreciate you coming on. That's Jamie Morton, science reporter for The Herald. Now, if you have a question about an issue that The Herald has been covering or just something that's been in the media in general, do get in touch with me. We could put it on a future front page podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Francis Cook Journalist, Twitter at Francis Cook and Instagram at Francis Cook NZ. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We're pretty much everywhere including iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, have a great day.